Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. It is the second episode here in May. It is Friday, May 7th, and we are so glad that you are here. Wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to us, uh, we wish you health and happiness, as we always do, and safety uh, in these challenging times uh, where so many of us are uh, feeling even more unwelcomed and even unsure of our own presence in this country. We are glad that we are able to share a little bit of our stories uh, with you today. Uh, today, I'm really honored to have Neil Ruiz, who is from the Pew Research Center and whose work in his uh, entire life is dedicated to studying the data that tells the story of our Asian American community. And so I want to shout out the folks over at Pew uh, for doing the work and for allowing Neil to come and share a little bit of his story with us today. And before we get to the interview with Neil, I want to share we are going to be launching an amazing campaign uh, today uh, with our partners for McDonald's called the We Are APA campaign. So we're going to kick off that kick that off in our Instagram feed this afternoon on Friday, and you'll be seeing throughout the month of May seven amazing stories of Asian Americans all throughout the country. Uh, people whose stories are often untold. And so we invite you to join us uh, on our Instagram at Dear Asian Americans. Please do give us a follow and share that out with your friends if you uh, find the content, uh, you know, fun and engaging. Um, it does mirror a lot of the content that you hear on the podcast. And so if you have not yet, please join us there. Uh, however you're celebrating, however you're commemorating, um, and however you're spending time educating not only ourselves, but our community members, about the rich and diverse and sometimes complicated history of Asian Americans and celebrating all the amazing achievements that we are, that we have, that we continue to experience in a system that was never really designed for us to thrive. I thank you so much. And to the many of you who are joining us for the first time, perhaps recently, uh, thank you so much for sharing and listening to Asian American stories. It means a lot to me and it means a lot to so many of us. My name is Jerry Wan, the founder and host of The Asian Americans, and it is my honor to now share with you my interview with Neil Ruiz. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Asian Americans. Uh, hope you're staying safe and hope you're staying healthy. Um, as we sit here today recording with our guest on May 6th, uh, Dr. Russell Jung and his team over at Stop AAPI Hate released an update to their national report. And I encourage you to go check out the report. We'll put it in the podcast notes or just uh, go to stopaapihate.org. Um, these are important numbers to look at, uh, but they're really depressing and sad numbers to look at. And they're very heavy to process uh, that even though there's so much attention and light, it seems, within our own uh, insular communities and echo chambers, the numbers um, continue to increase in terms of the reported hate crimes. And so again, with, with a caveat, I think these are self-reported numbers. And so Perhaps we're getting to a point where people feel more comfortable reporting that other bystanders are reporting as well. Um, however, even with those biases in consideration, just the fact that they're going up is, is really uh, disheartening. And so uh, my guest today, we're going to talk all about data. We're going to talk all about the Asian American community, particularly in the lens of what data means, what analysis means, and sort of projecting, um, as we'll learn today, sort of what the future of America could look like which impacts not only our lives, but the lives of our children and the ones we care about. So really, really excited uh, to host uh, Neil Ruiz, uh, Dr. Ruiz, uh, who's a political scientist by training, and he is currently the Associate Director of Race and Ethnicity Research at the Pew Research Center, which is a bipartisan. They don't pick any sides, basically. And so all they do is focus on objective data to tell us what is really going on. And so uh, we're going to talk about the research uh, report that he published and his team published last week. Uh, which has been shared quite a bit. Uh, we did share it on our Instagram and got a lot of attention and love for it. So really excited to have this discussion. 
Hope we nerd out a little bit on the data side of things. Uh, Neo, thank you so much for making time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. It's uh, you know, it's it's a weird time, right? It's it's APAN, which means there's just um, usually on an annual basis a lot more, or a little bit more attention on us than the other eleven months. This year in particular um, seems to be, um, uh, you know, for some good reasons and a lot of bad reasons, a lot of attention, a lot of demands of our time. Um, you can't see, but he's dressed in a full suit and tie because he was doing a TV interview just prior to this. And, you know, people who speak on Asian American identity, culture, and community seem to be a little bit more on demand, which all things considered, and however we got here, it's, it's a good thing that we actually get to hear from us uh, and have each other share stories. And so um, if you could help us get started and, and share with us a little bit about your origin story and, and how did the Ruiz family end up here in the States? Yeah, um, I'm... I'm a child of immigrants from the Philippines. Um, both my parents, um, uh, my father was in the U.S. military. And if people don't know, the, there was a time after World War II where the United States and, and the Philippines had an agreement where Filipinos could be um, recruited into the military. So, and one of the, and that's kind of our pathway to our, our immigration story into the United States. So I was born in um, Oxnard, California and grew up in a kind of a, mostly Hispanic and Asian um, community. So public school raised. Um, actually, it was an interesting story that, you know, this is a suburb of LA. Only, I think about 7% of my um, high school class went on to four-year colleges and universities. So it's it's one of those public schools, but I'm, I'm proud to be from there. Um, and I came to this research um, because I was very interested in really understanding um, kind of not only my parents' story of how they immigrated from the Philippines to the U.S., but also I was interested in how people stayed behind as well and the relationship between those who stayed behind with those who immigrated to the United States and elsewhere. Um, that's really what drew me to this type of research. Um, just to give you one example, I I remember doing my uh trying to find my PhD dissertation topic. And you have to do that. You have to love what you're going to do, right? For like five plus years. And my father took me to the trip, a trip to the Philippines for the first time. And that was my first time meeting a lot of relatives I've never met in the, for, for the first time. And I was intrigued by how the Philippines exports people to immigrate abroad um, as migrant workers. And many of my family members were also um abroad and also we're thanking my father and my mother for the money that they've been giving the remittances that they've been sending to them so that really took me into the path of the research that I'm doing now on you know immigration and especially now on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and and my passion for for this type of work I, mean, I think it's really fascinating because you having the unique experiences that you had um, growing up in in Southern California um, went, went on to uh, you know, achieve or at least explore uh, academics sort of at, at a global lens. Um, you studied at Cal, then you got your master's at Oxford. Um, and I think when we think about race and ethnicity, particularly from an Asian lens, um, our experiences in America, especially California, is very unique because there's a lot of us, right? We're not the only in so many cases. Um, but having traveled the world and, and you know taking a look at race and, uh, you know, social conditions. And as you just shared, these sort of nuances about our own immigration and uh, um, global economic consequences from a 
purely global lens, like what, what did you learn and, and what, you know, eventually motivated you to go get a PhD in the social sciences? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that, you know, the statistics that we even publish at Pew Research Center, I mean, one of the main statistics that I'd like to uh, show is, uh, of site is that the United States is the largest immigrant receiving country in the world. You have more than 40 million immigrants, right? And from a global lens, we see other countries as well that also have a lot of immigrants or migrant workers or migrants or temporary migrants. So there's many, there's a wide range of migrants um, all around the world. And the U.S. has a very particular um, uh, way of how, you know, um, um, a different path compared to other countries. Um, and I think that that's, that's what's interesting. And what I find fascinating is how people, you know, come for opportunity into the U.S. and what uh, they're trying to uh, thrive in. And, and also how people came into the U.S. determines their starting points, you know, their economic mobility. Um, so just to give you a, uh, an example, the U.S., for Asian Americans in particular, you have a wide diversity of immigration experiences to the U.S. Korean Americans came very differently from Filipinos, like my parents, and um, as well as um, Bhutanese or Burmese who were came in, coming as refugees, or Indian Americans who were coming because they're selected as high-skilled workers and the demand from tech, especially up in Silicon Valley in, in California. So I think there's this wide diversity of experiences of the Asian American experience. Um, but it's so easy to lump everyone together as one monolithic and look at one statistic uh, for all Asian Americans. But I also think that it's also important to understand the variety of stories, the variety of ways people come, the variety of starting points. And that's very important to so you could understand um, who you're talking about. I, I was smiling year to year as you were saying that and almost getting the chills because as, as I share about the Asian American experience, not just on this show, but to other audiences, you know, I that's the main task, right? The main task is to reimagine or help encourage the reimagination of what Asian America means to other people, including those in our community. Um, you know, I look like the person who generally dominates the Asian American narrative, both in the corporate and community sense. It's usually and unfortunately, unfairly, a bunch of East Asian dudes who say, hey, I am Asian America and I'm going to speak up for the entire you know, community. And that's just not true. I, I think you, you know, uh, I love the fact that you shared about where we come from, right? Because um, although there are a variety of other ways that people migrate to the States, but, you know, volunteer immigration is the way that we typically imagine how Asians come here, regardless of when. Um, refugees, not by choice, often at the on, on the heels or in the shadows of American foreign intervention. And uh, third group, adoptees who had absolutely no choice in coming here. Their Asian American Amer experiences are different so far or so much from the first two. And then there's countless other ways that people come here. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, now this is your, your, um, your day job, your passion, the thing that people know you for, not obviously as an objective, you know, expert in data and studying people, um, and you mentioned sort of going back to the Philippines as the motivation for wanting to study, but you work not only at the place that is synonymous with the best data and the most trustworthy data as it relates to uh, you know social economics, but you study us. And you know this report that you released last week 
which I geeked out over and, and we shared and I've seen it, you know, uh, mentioned and um, I shared in my uh, in the, already the few times that I've spoken this week to other audiences. Um, of course, so it's meaningful, but like, why did you choose to study this? You could have done anything, right? Your your resume speaks for itself. You've worked in so many places, but why study us? I mean, Asian Americans, and we also don't want to also forget also Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders. Um, so even though Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders are about half percent of the U.S. population, this is also the same um, kind of different pathways. They, they are part of the U.S. as well um, as Americans. Um, so I think w- one thing that, and very different stories. So Asian Americans on one hand, heavily immigrant, foreign born, um, but also the second or third generation here in the U.S. Or, and beyond. But then for Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders, I just want to uh, mention that um, different story. Their story is a little different. You know, as America grew geographically, yeah, where America they lived, them, we didn't find America. Right? Where they yes. lived became part of the United States. So right. just want to distinguish that because I yeah. think that's a very important factor where that. people forget, even though they're only half a percent of the U.S. population. But I think yeah. the reason why I'd like to study this is because I know that you know everyone has a different lens or different experience. It's easy to make shortcuts and aggregated the data on Asian Americans. So just to give you an, an example of the report I released, we released last week, 85% of the Asian American population is six groups, the six largest, Chinese Americans, Indians, Filipino, Vietnamese, Korean, and Japanese. So that's, you know, the dominant group, right? Groups. So if you do any aggregated statistics, it's going to capture them. And they all tend to be higher educated, higher income than, let's say, the smaller groups like Bhutanese, Mongolian, Sri Lankans, Burmese, Nepalese, Laotian, Hmong, um, Cambodian. Very different story. And they could be lost or um, hidden. And so I was motivated in this work to really just help us understand factually what is going on. There's there's an in-depth work to be done to understand um, the different stories. And there's all different voices. Um, they all don't have the same voice because the 85% can't speak for the 100%, the other 15% actually. Right, right. So that's where, and each group too can't speak for each other. Right. And what's interesting is also, if you flip it and go to Asia, um, if you think globally, many countries are, the, how do they identify? Would they look at each other as the same? as Asian, or, I mean, we know there's been long conflict, long histories in Japan, um, China, um, in, in different parts of, um, and, and, and not everyone really identifies with each other. So, but it's kind of very interesting. I find it fascinating to really understand when people come into the U.S., they have their different ethnic identities based on the country of origin. And then you have the very different, um, but then you also have a uniting experience. Yeah. So the point that you talked about, um, Dr. Jung's data and what's going on with, you know, being racialized as well and treated as one group. So you get discriminated against. So what does that do? And we still have unanswered questions to, to all these questions, but, that, but that's an interesting thing. Is that a uniting force in a negative way to, um, to, for Asian Americans? Or it's, um, there's a lot of questions that are, um, unanswered. And that's what makes me passionate to, to do this research. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I 
looking, you know, uh, I emailed you off a of whim when I read the report and I said, I really want Neil on the show and we can geek out over it when you immediately said yes, as, oh my God, we're gonna have such a great conversation. And, and I resonate so much with what you just said, because I was born in Korea. My grandparents were born into an occupied Korea by Imperial Japan. We, they then survived that. They then survived war uh, from Soviet and Chinese influence, right? America, quote unquote, saved Korea. And so we ended up here. And so my perspective of uh, Americans, and let's be honest, when we think about Americans from an Asian perspective, they're white people. Um, the way that I was taught to think about Japanese people and Japanese things from a nationalistic pride perspective of being a Korean, those were some of the values that I still carried once I immigrated here as an 80-year-old and, and grew up here as, as a proud Korean-American. Most of my social and leadership and community alliances were specifically within the Korean-American community. And, and not to, you know, and it wasn't that I didn't identify, but when you looked at the other Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Vietnamese student and community organizations, they were just sort of sister orgs. It wasn't an us. It was still a them within the greater context of Asian America. And it wasn't until recently for myself that I really wanted to and decided to lean into my broader Asian American identity because when you study the root of the term itself, it was born in political alliance. It was born out of survival. And when you see all these nasty things you know, violence and murder and spitting and hate and discrimination, they don't really care what you really are, right? You know, they don't ask you, hey, uh, Neil, are you Filipino? Are you sure? Okay, then I'm going to punch you in the face. Or, you know, hey, Jerry, go back to China. And if my response is, uh, I'm Korean, uh, I can't go back to China, like, that doesn't solve the root cause of racism. And if that's the case, should we not advocate for everybody? Yes, Asian Americans more broadly, which is you know, and expand expanded uh, POV from Korean, but more broadly, just being human, right? Like people are scared to go outside. Like just this week, cinder blocks to people's heads, getting stabbed in broad daylight, beating up somebody who's got a one-year-old in a stroller. Like this is not no longer, and it never has been, but we're getting to a point where this is just America and humanity is on trial right now. It doesn't matter who the victims are at this point. Yes, it matters that it's us, but it's so sad and it is, um, it's really, really disheartening. And, um, but at the same time where I'm really encouraged by your work and Dr. Jung's work and everybody else is it's hard to advocate for real change at the government, at the policy, uh, even at whatever levels of government, sometimes without the data to back it up, right? Because as, as much as it pains to say, we need to justify our humanity, um, Unless you show them the numbers and saying, these are the ways that people are feeling. This is indisputable data as far as, you know, uh, aggregating data from different places like the census and other things. Um, but to really then, can we use the tools of the game that currently exists to advocate for things? And so um, the, the research paper or that research uh, report that you uh, published on last Thursday um, when did that begin? Was that something that you always do um, for, for those of us that are coming into a sort of an introduction to, oh, it's kind of cool that Pew even does this. Um, is, is this a regular report that it's getting extra attention given the current climate? Or was this a reaction to some of the uh, more attention and desire to tell our narrative from a, an academic and uh, numbers sense? Yeah, so we we did this report and this is more of an update of something we've done already and collected back in 2017. 
when we um, did a lot of fact sheets on the various different 19 Asian origin groups. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was just an update of that, but it got more attention, of course, given the climate. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, even a week before that release, we did have a Pew survey that I also um, we, I wrote um, and reported out. Um, and it did show that eight in 10 Asian Americans say violence against them in the United States is increasing. And what was interesting there, and just to humanize it in their own words from the Pew, our Pew Survey's respondents, among Asian adults who, who said it was increasing, there's some interesting kind of open-ended um, answers. We, we asked um, among those who said it's increasing, um, what are the main reasons in your own words? So we have, I'll give you a couple of quotes that were kind of fascinating. Um, one says, a woman who's six years old, um, says, quote, people mistakenly assume that all Asians are of Chinese origin and that China is responsible for the start of the coronavirus. Um, we have another one, woman, 29-year-old, um, says, quote, a mix of coronavirus news and its origins in China coupled with talks about race inequality. Asians are not accepted as people of color as they are seen as the model minority, but they are also seen as foreign because they are not white, unquote. So there's just kind of two of showing the complexity of the reasoning of what people think is increasing um, this violence against Asian Americans from their own words from Asians themselves. And I think that that's kind of really interesting just to highlight what what is going on um, in the country among um, Asian Americans. It's really, really hard to hear and it's really hard to read. Um, You know, in in that research that you just quoted, um, the number that actually stuck out to me and has really been um, where, where I'm getting, you know, all my feelings, the, the, the downward feelings, and also sort of the, the charge and the motivation to do better is a number that is 32%, which is the number of those, the percentage of those respondents who said someone expressed support for them. And that's really sad because that, the number of people who showed support, that's a race and genderless statistic that of all the people in their community and people who are present when these attacks are happening, that less than one third felt that somebody supported them. And so when we also talk about this in the context of COVID and the isolation that we've had and just the fear of going out, of catching the virus, and now there's this, I mean, we're getting to a point where people aren't leaving home, period, regardless of age or or gender. Um, I mean, thankfully, we live in a time where technology can solve some of these things, but when we stay home, who wins? When we live in fear, who wins? Um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's really, really, um, again, I think it has to move you one way or the other. Um, but, but I do want to ask you, Neil, what, you know, this, this is academic work for you. This is professional work for you, but what are some of the things that you've learned about, you know, your own community identity or your own journey, um, as a Filipino American in, in studying these things, or were there things that you learned about, um, Asians or Filipinos in general that surprised you either delightfully or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what I've learned in doing this research is that there's so much diversity in immigration experiences, in opportunity, as well as in um, identity. Not even among Filipino Americans, um, very different. People could identify in multiple ways. Um, just to give you an example, people could identify as Filipino American, they could identify as 
their specific pro- province. Like my parents are from Pangasinan, so they they would identify more with that. Um, and then also you have other um, identities, American, um, um, Asian American, Asian American Pacific Islander. Um, for Filipinos in particular, it's actually very interesting because Filipinos are very unique in the sense that, you know, was a former colony of Spain. So based on my past research, I've, I've learned, I used to do a lot of field work in the Philippines when I was doing my PhD dissertation. And um, it's just fascinating to see in Spain in particular, um, in the Philippines in particular, how, you know, you have Philippines is unique because it's um, a, Span- a former Spanish colony has many elements of, of countries that are from Latin America, actually. Um, but it's also Asia, too. And it's also Pacific Islands. So it's intriguing because of, 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 of this multiple identities. So just to give an example, we have our last name, like my last name is Ruiz. So you have, you know, isn't that Hispanic? Um, but then you're also saying, well, but when they look at you, they're like, wait, you're the Asian, right? So there's a multiple ways of, of, it's just kind of very interesting to see that because it's um, Filipinos in particular, because we're also mixed, right? We have mix of Chinese, you have mix of Malay, you have a mix of, of indigenous to the Philippines, like different identities, provincial identities. And I think that that's just fascinates me in terms of research questions, like just even looking at one country, one origin, multitude of identities. Can you imagine when we look at the 19 or more Asian American groups, just the different identities that people um, um, identify with, um, and that's that's what's interesting about this. Um, um, there's a lot to understand. And broadly speaking, it really just brings home the fact that countries and borders are just man-made, um, fought through, fought because of ego, fought because of emotion, and you know, I think we living in America, us living in America now we're just under this illusion that it's always been here and that it will also be here forever. But in the grand scheme of history, it's 250 years compared to the, the millennia, the thousands of years of known and, and traceable history of many of our own ancestors. And so in the grand scheme of things, you often think like, well, you know, America, we can argue was a, a social experiment, right? And continues to be in terms of can a nation of immigrants survive and thrive in this, you know, um, sort of indigenous less experience because a lot of that was erased unfortunately um, and continues to be actively so um and, and so let me let's look towards the future of asian america because not only do you study history and take a snapshot of what it is today a lot of the work that you do is sort of projecting out what is the future of america what is the future of asian america in particular there's a chart that you mentioned um uh, one of the charts that you shared in the research report was also a population growth analysis from 2000, 2019, and every single ethnicity has gone up and, and some uh, greater, uh, huge. Um, I'm looking at this here. I know, you know, the, the starting point was lower, so the percentage is going to sound, you know, marginally bigger and more impactful. But, you know, Bhutanese people, less than a million in 2000 or less than a thousand in 2000 to more than 24, which means that they've grown almost 11,000 percent, 110 X we're still growing. Even the larger groups, as you mentioned, the Chinese, the Vietnam, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the larger two, Chinese and Indian, have grown 88, 142 relatively percent. And so we're growing, organically growing, because we're, we're having families here. Uh, immigration patterns are still continuing. And then we'll see how uh, the last administration or sort of the other uh, immigration policies impact that. But 
What what is your you know viewpoint? Like, are we continuing to grow, and what does that mean for our identity, our, our children's identity, whose American Asian American identity will be so different than even the ones we grew up with, which is very different than what our parents continue to experience today. Um, what what does the future of Asian America look like from from the data lens? Yeah, from the data lens, it's just fascinating. I mean, overall, Asian Americans are the fastest racial and ethnic group um, in the in the U.S. Right for any racial ethnic group. So that's one. But then when you dig deeper, like you mentioned, um, you know, you have these smaller populations that that just had so much growth, like Bhutanese group, because it's a big refugee group um, that came to the U.S. Um, Indian Americans, very large growth from 2000, but you also see, because this is also the growth with a lot of H-1B visa holders and foreign students coming from India to study in the United States. In my past work, just so you know, I did some few work on analyzing foreign student data um, um, and as well as H-1B workers, and it's Indian Americans are the top origin group. Chinese are the second for both. And what's interesting there is that this is, these are the high-skilled immigrants, right? So, so Indian Americans in particular, I think it's a, the statistics about 70% or more have a master's degree or above and very high income. Like, so if you look at Indian Americans, about 119,000 medium household income in the U.S. Yep. But then if you go to Bhutanese, very different story again, much lower uh, medium household income in the, in the 40,000s and I think that it's just interesting. You have this diversity of of, of immigration experiences, and and um, it would be a mistake to just say everyone's doing well and point to Indian Americans, but it, and, and then ignore the smaller groups. So really, just make sure you always cover the diversity of the Asian American experience. It's going to grow, continue to grow. We don't know the patterns. Um, we know that there's a shift <laughs> from the last administration to now. So. Um, but also we're in the middle of still in the pandemic. So as doors open, we will see if the same pattern will happen and where more um, immigrants from the high skilled sector, as well as refugee policies changing. Will there be more refugees now coming from Asia um, now that ha- that's changing as well? So I think that those are um, a lot of questions that we will see if this continued growth for Asian Americans. But at least right now, they're projecting Asian Americans will be the largest immigrant group by 2065, according to the Census Bureau's data. So it's 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 growing fast. How does the Pew and other uh, data and organizations define immigrant? When do we stop? At what generation or what point do we stop becoming an immigrant? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, and some people always debate about it, but how we use, um, so immigrant is foreign born. Um, how we use is, is Straight from the Census Bureau, um, okay. how they how they treat the data of uh, um, people. So, but the children of immigrants, you know, those who are, have at least one parent who is an immigrant or foreign born, and then but you have more um, generations after that as well. Okay. So, so it's a technical definition of place of birth. Place of birth, yeah. Okay. So it's a technical foreign born or U.S. born. Okay, cool. I'm happy to be an immigrant for the rest of my life. I think that's a. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I came here when I was eight. So, you know, even though oh, the people though, would call you 1.5, right. Which is actually, you know, there, there, are, I think, you know, Koreans understand that or Korean Americans understand that very well. And then other people, cause we even argue about the definition of first or second generation, right? Like, um, so for me coming, I'm first because I came here, my kid is second. And then other folks would say, well, I'm the first Korean American because I was the first generation to be born here. 
And so, you know, even just the way that we count uh, generations from an immigration perspective is, is different. Um, you know, you, you brought up uh, income disparity. You be, you brought up, you know, wealth disparity, college attainment disparity. And I love that, right? I love that because it's given me more empathy and more nuance in the way that I talk about not just my own identity, but Asian Americans, broadly speaking. When we, when we look at data from places like Nielsen that want to tell a different narrative of, look how educated and wealthy and how much disposable income Asian Americans have and brands should focus their marketing efforts on this small yet growing population. We erase, like you said, those of us who are not as fortunate, which has a direct correlation, as you said, of how they come here, right? If you're an adoptee or if you're a refugee versus you got straight into graduate school at a school's names we'd recognize and you got jobs at places that we recognize, you're on a different trajectory um, because of these things. And, and, and so even without the visa question, you know, those of us, you know, who could leave, you know, uh, another group that sort of has this uh, stereotype are the Persians, right? Because who could have left, who had the resources to immigrate, right? And start a new life over the people in the bottom of the, you know, uh, the bottom quartile or the bottom half of socioeconomic status in certain countries did not even have the resources to leave. And so who gets to come here and how they're then personified or uh, generalized here in America, I think is a very, very fascinating concept. But I think also another thing too is, you know, when we talk about pay uh, for a woman, there was a chart that uh, uh, Women's Forum, uh, NAPAWF, published where they said, once we double click on the data of even just the money that Asian women make, it's, you know, the chart by itself makes it look very diverse. But once we weight the chart by how many of those are in those individual ethnicities, then the numbers get skewed. And so I, I think we come back to sort of where we started, Neil, which is how do you represent everybody, right? Because if we Going back to, there are six countries of origin that uh, make up 85% of Asian America. So if there are seven people on a stage in an advertisement or on a billboard, that last seventh person is supposed to represent everybody else. And how do you tell that story? And how much, you know, at what point as a society, as community organizations, or as media companies are supposed to represent all of us? It's a question I grapple with too. You know, from time to time, I get gentle and maybe not so gentle reminders from people that say, hey, privileged Korean dude, what are you doing about my story? What are you doing about these people's story who aren't, whose, whose stories are not amplified? It can't be exhaustive. And, and that's, I think, something that we all have to understand. And what I do want to share is that there are common themes and threads through all of our stories that I hope that even though we don't get to check every country box and we don't get to cut, you know, check every gender, religion, or other identity box whether it's on the show or any other Asian American narrative, look at the data. It is very complex. It is complex. And we haven't even touched upon mixed race children because marriages are becoming more uh, you know, diverse. And so what boxes do they get to check going forward? And when you or your, your, your um, uh, you know, uh, I guess folks who take over your job way later, when they go do this research in 2065, how many more choices will we have to offer to tell a different narrative of what Asian American means or even American means? Because, you know, salad bowl, melting pot, use whatever you want. Very, you know, fewer and fewer of us are staying in our, you know, ethnic or country of origin lanes when it comes to partners and, you know, children and all these things. So, um, you know, maybe maybe with a little bit of a, a lens of data or just your own personal, uh, you know, perspective, um, and I know that we're, we're speaking in sort of in the shadows of, of a very 
challenging time. Um, what is the most exciting and hopeful thing that, you know, gets you excited about the work that you do? What are, what are some things that can get us hopeful and also shaping the narrative to create the Asian America that we all want to live in as we look towards the future? I think what excites me is just unveiling kind of data and facts about us, about Asian Americans. Just to give you an example, you just mentioned multiracial Americans. Um, among Asian Americans, actually 14% of Asian Americans identify with more than one race. So they're multiracial wow. Asians. And 3% are Hispanic Asians of all Asian Americans. So what's interesting there is that there is something going on, right? There, there's it does not everyone's not as you said. Are you sticking to this checkbox, or are you expanding people? Intermarriage rates are are, are are taking play. And what's interesting here is that Japanese Americans. So Japanese Americans have a long history of of coming into the U.S., especially at the turn of the eighteenth eighteen hundreds, actually, um, and. What's what's interesting there is that 33% of Japanese Americans are multiracial. They're the highest of all Asian Americans for being right. multiracial, followed by Filipinos and Koreans. Um, but what's um, how are they changing, right? How do they navigate being Japanese but also another race, right? And how are they going to be identified? Um, how do they... Identify is it Japanese American, multiracial American, Asian American? Um, so these are changes that are going to be really interesting as you see the population grow. We see the youngest, like U.S. born Asian Americans, mm. the biggest generation is Generation Z and younger. They are the majority, sixty-eight percent of all U.S. born Asian Americans. So the future is growing younger. Um, so that's just really interesting to see if you have this multiracial element going on and you also have um, a really younger generation that's really the U.S.-born Asian Americans. Um, be fascinating to study and just learn more about how are people identifying? How are they relating with their parents um, and on their ancestry? And what cultural um, elements do they take with them um, yeah. Um, yeah. in the next generation? And, and one thing that isn't really discovered or, you know, talked about in looking at it from a multiracial perspective is even with an intra-Asian mixed races or mixed yes. ethnicity, right? So if a Chinese person marries a Vietnamese person, you know, are we considered multiracial within sort of the, you know, uh, Hispanic, black, white, Asian buckets, but they're completely different cultures, right? And so um, the languages are different, the customs are different. And so I, I think, you know, the, the, the reality is probably that it's, it's a far greater, right? And that uh, even though Asian American as a term and identity was really born out of political necessity and for survival, we have to redefine it and we get we get to redefine it purely just in the way that we raise ourselves and raise our children. I think, um, you know, my two kids, they're four and two. I have no idea what their Korean American experience is going to be like. But the only reason I'm doing any of this is so that they don't have to talk about this 20 years from now. I, I hope that, you know, we don't have to talk about hate crimes, that we don't have to talk about using data to justify our humanity. I, I hope that we create a world for them where they can walk down the street, that I can walk down the street in 30 years and not have to always be anxious about my personal surroundings. And so, I mean, I, I really, the work that you do, Neil, I get so geeked out about it. Um, you know, know that there's at least one person 
sharing your charts and sharing your data almost every single time I get to talk on a stage. Um, and so I really appreciate you. I, I do want to uh, wrap the conversation uh, by asking you uh, to help us finish out the show in the way that we always do on the Irish Americans, which is to verbalize a, a letter or a, just a message of hope or message of resonance to the Asian American community. And whether that is a personal message of connection or uh, something that comes from the work that you do, uh, just something that you'd like to leave our audience with as we close out the show here. So um, I'll, I'll start the letter. And if you could help us close out the show by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. So Dear Asian Americans, um, as a fellow Asian American myself, I can, will um, continue to unravel, unravel the facts about the communities, the different voices, um, and there's so much to learn from the diverse voices of, of the Asian American community, and I'm, I'm dedicated, and as well as the Pew Research Center, is dedicated to really learning about us, about the Asian American experience in the U.S., and um, to really highlight the Asian American experience at the national level, because I think it's, it's, it's easy just to talk amongst ourselves about our issues, but I think by um, highlighting it, putting a lens to the Asian American experience in the United States at the national level, um, not, just, not just the negative experiences of Asian Americans that we've been seeing, but also the positive parts, right? And the multiple, the diversity of experiences. I think that that is unique and interesting. And I hope that um, the general public will understand who we are, who Asian Americans are in general. Thank you. And, you know, it, especially in our culture, in our communities, we talk about tribes a lot. We talk about a group of people who, uh, when we win together, we win together and, and we go through things together. And certainly that the work that you do at the Pew, even though you're here representing yourself and also the research, um, share with us and, and brag about some of the other people who uh, who you represent and the people who contributed to sharing our story. I would like to just shout out to Abby Budiman. She's doing a lot of, she did a lot of work, especially on these reports and, and statistics. And I have other team members as well, such as Sono Shah, who's been helping us with a lot of our future work that we're doing, as well as Laura Silver and my boss, actually, Mark Lopez, who's been really helping with leadership at Pew Research Center and, and actually the, the program that we lead together, which is the Race and Ethnicity Research at Pew Research Center, which is a new program to really kind of bring everything together to really understand the very the, the changing landscape of racial and ethnic um, diversity in America. Thank you. And, and thank you to everybody. And, you know, a special shout out to uh, Stefan over at Pew, who was so quick and uh, really helpful in helping us organize this interview. And um, I, I know it's challenging and it is so, so, so awesome, Neil, and something that I don't even know if I knew that I wanted to see, which is people who look like me telling our stories. Because I think for far too long, people who wrote about Asian America, people who studied Asian America, were, didn't look like us. And so even within the construct of these amazing organizations and institutions whose mission is to tell this story, the fact that you get to do it and the fact that you get to come on a show that is for us and by us to not just share, because content without context isn't that useful, right? But it is to take the data and then to put our own lens in it that makes, if anything else, just a little bit more relatable, just a little bit more resonant, and ultimately so heartwarming that we're finally starting to tell our own story 
and narrative. So Neil, uh, best of luck uh, the rest of the way. Uh, never stop. S- please continue to study us, to share our stories, because uh, I do this for my kids. I-, I do this for you. I do this for me and um, really want to honor our parents and ancestors who made it possible for us to even have this conversation and how privileged are we that we can do this and to share out all the things that we love and care about. So, Neil, thank you. Best of luck to you. Uh, health and happiness and, and safety to all of the people that you care about and looking forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you, Jerry. Really appreciate it. it was, this was fun. Big, big shout out to Neil for jumping on the show and sharing with us not only his personal story, but all the work that he's doing and sharing the story of our community. Uh, some of the numbers that we shared today are troubling. Some of them are uh, optimistic. But all in all, uh, numbers do help us tell the story that is sometimes a little bit easier to understand. And so I encourage you to check it out, uh, the study that Neil's uh, team released. Uh, the link will be the first thing that you see in the show notes and share it out. Um, I, I do think that the more we share out these numbers and these research papers, uh, we'll hope to get a better understanding, not just within our own community, but from allies. And so uh, share it out. There's another great research paper that came out yesterday from McKinsey uh, about the professional experience of Asians, uh, particularly Asian women uh, in the professional context. And they too uh, broke down and disaggregated the data uh, by region. And so uh, shout out to them. And also the report that we mentioned at the uh, top of the show, the Stop AAPI Hate National Report uh, from Dr. Russell Jung and his team over there at uh, Stop AAPI Hate is also going to be linked in the show notes. So um, as we enter uh, Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Big shout out to my wife, Kyungwa, and to my mom. Thank you for being amazing. Thank you for taking care of me. And thank you ultimately for making me who I am and for allowing me to do what I do. And so thank you again for listening to our Asian American stories and signing off here uh, for my episode with Neil Ruiz. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and please be healthy, safe, and happy.